What's up, bookish people? Welcome to another episode of Hot Off the Shelves. I'm Sonali. And I'm Kara. Just a trigger warning. This episode has some references to death and suicide, so please take care of yourselves. If this can be this episode will be triggering to you, please turn it off and listen to one of our past episodes. And without further ado, our book of the month is Under the Whispering Door by TJ Klune. We have picked his book, one of his books before in our show. It was the The Cerulean Sea and it was such a wholesome book. But this one takes on a little slower pace and just have a little bit more adult theme. So as Sonali has said, you know, we do have some triggers in here. If you do get triggered, please, please, please listen to other episodes, uh, especially that one, because trust me, it was a wholesome book. How's it going, Sonali? It's going pretty well. Um, I have been really enjoying fall. I feel like this is like the perfect like season because it's you're um, you know calming down from the hot summer and slowly going into fall. This is still pretty uh, a much warmer fall than we've had in the past, I think. But it's finally cooling down, and I saw some orange leaves on the street yesterday, which is very nice. That's pretty cool. I feel like fall in San Diego is really confusing because you have very, very cold winter in the morning. You have spring in the, like, like you know, 11 brunch time. And around 1 o'clock to about, like, 5 p.m. is, like, summer. And then mm-hmm. after 5 p.m. is, like, winter again. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's a little confusing and a lot of people are getting cold from that. Like today, I've been getting allergies nonstop. I've been sneezing and I do not know why. I was fine yesterday and all of a sudden I woke up and I've been sneezing nonstop. Yeah, I I have allergies too, but I, I'm not sure what's causing them. I think it might be like pollen or something. I always thought pollen was a spring thing, but... Um, I've been learning a lot about like fall florals, which is another story. But if you are interested in learning more, um, chrysanthemums are like a really pretty fall flower. I drink them as tea. I actually don't know what they look like. I should learn. Mm. Yeah, it's, I guess, like when you imagine, if you were to imagine a fall flower, it's the perfect image. It's like a daisy but like the colors are usually like pinkish orange and then they have a yellow center. So it has all of the fall colors in a flower. It's oh, nice, pretty. nice. Yeah, speaking of tea, this book has quite a bit of tea involved. So just a little bit segue and sneak peek to the book. Also, I love tea. <clears throat> yeah, we're both big tea drinkers. Yeah, although I, I think you prefer coffee more. No, I like both of them equally. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, I don't really drink coffee. I mean, I do go to coffee shops quite a bit just because I like the vibe. But as much as I go to coffee shop, I rarely get coffee. Also, it's really bitter. 
anyway <laughs> yeah so um aside from that um you know my life on the other hand uh, has been pretty going pretty okay i mean we we're still surviving so i can't believe 2021 is almost over in a few months so mm-hmm. does that but aside from that a fall is a definitely a welcome change yeah. well uh without further ado um can you explain a little bit about the book that we chose for this month yeah, so Under the Whispering Door is only a month old. Actually, it's exactly a month old, I think, because it was released in September? I thought no. it was released in July. I could be wrong. Aug- but August. Maybe, like, in the wrong. middle. <laughs> I think it was, like, August 21st. Okay. So, two months. Two months, because today is October 21st. So, sometime between July and now. That's pretty much the answer. Yes. <laughs> But it's about this lawyer. His name is Wallace Price. And he's a very, like, career-focused person. He he doesn't really do anything except work. And his whole life is just about winning his cases. He's perfected his lawyer technique and everything. And we see a little glimpse of his life right before he dies. And he he ends up waking up at his funeral and he's expecting everyone to say nice things about him because that's what you do at a funeral. But instead, everyone is either saying bad things, they're saying that he wasn't a good person or they're just struggling and they're not really saying much at all. And he he's really upset because he thinks this is really unfair. And then he meets this mysterious woman who reveals herself to be the Reaper. You know, like in the song, Don't Fear the Reaper. Um, So this is like a person who is supposed to bring people to their afterlife, after they die. And and he's like really resisting. But she takes him to um, this like in-between place where people go after they've died and before they go on to whatever comes next. So it's kind of like a purgatory, like transient place where people can like take a minute to like come to terms with what's happened to them and then and then whenever they're ready they'll go on to whatever comes next and it's not clear like are they going to heaven afterwards or hell or or is that just a human construction of what is actually happening so anyway she takes him to this place called Karen's Crossing and it's a a house on top of a tea shop and the owner of the tea shop helps like these dead people with their journeys and um and Wallace is like really resistant to all of this he's resistant to this whole journey but he becomes friends with the the owner of the cafe whose name is Hugo and he becomes friends with the other people living there and we find out that under this like hard exterior is someone who's actually really open to becoming a better person unlike anyone's expectations of him everyone thought he was like selfish and mean and there was no hope for him but he starts to like 
change his values a little bit. Yeah. So before we go on, let me kind of go over like the characters. So we have Wallace Price, who, as we know, is the main character. When Asunali said the tea shop owner is called Hugo, he is also a ferryman. So ferryman is the term that they use for, you know, helping the dead transition to whatever they go next. Um, so like, you know, they ferry the dead to the door. Hence, fairy man or fairy woman. And then we have May, who is the Reaper. And um, there's a, another character named Nelson, who is Hugo's grandfather, who is already dead, but he just kind of stays around to help out Hugo. And and we cannot forget the cutest dog ever, Apollo. Apollo has already passed away. And we're sad about that, but oh my god, he is such the cutest dog. And he stayed around with Hugo just, you know, because he loves Hugo. So Nelson. He's Nelson's dog. Oh, he's Nelson's dog? I thought he was Hugo's dog. No, I think he's Nelson's, because Nelson's the one who died, and um, he stays with Nelson because he's loyal to Nelson. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure about that. I thought he was Hugo's. Yeah, you know, those people who say dogs, all dogs go to heaven. Well, that's a lie because dogs are super loyal even after dead. So, yeah. Anyway, um, you know, this whole story is really about death and, and think about what is actually important in our lives. Like, is it the materials? Is it the accomplishments? Is it... Uh, is it something else? Is it love? Is it connections? And of course, like things are, you know, different to each person. But at the end of the day, I guess we really have to ask what's actually important in life. And we see that with Wallace because, you know, in the beginning, he was like, I'm a lawyer. I was able to do all these things. And then as he kind of opens up, he starts to really question or start to ponder on what was actually important and we get to see that yeah so wallace wallace said he never even had time to like drink tea or anything he had he never had time to do anything that he wanted to do because he was always focused on work and winning cases and everything so being in this Karen's crossing cafe gives him time to like discover for himself what's actually important to him and it's interesting that um he's given all this time and time kind of slows down for him so it's it feels like nothing's happening in the book at times because the pace is really slow but then you find out that actually no time has passed so the things that were happening were happening in a very short amount of time so I think that's like an interesting like concept yeah yeah like time is like relative I mean it makes sense right because like well I don't know about you but in my personal life you know sometimes when I have a bunch of projects going on it seems as if there's not enough time just there's never enough time but then for certain cases where I'm just like you know I'm just gonna slow down and I 
you know make peace with that time is limited and then i just kind of slow down and just focus on to one project and next thing you know i was able to finish that project in no time because mm-hmm. i was able to put all my focus into that so i think that's what we're seeing with this at least that's how i interpreted it that he's able to accomplish more things because Rather, he's allowing himself to focus on things that truly matter, I guess, instead of, like, being scattered about, like, just focusing on, like, all these accomplishments. He's like, okay, the one thing that he just needs to focus on right now is just, you know, himself, I guess. At least that's kind of how I'm seeing it. I mean, I feel like it's one of those uh, those concepts that you can interpret so many different ways and that there's no wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me also of, like, when you have a lot of things going on, then, like you were saying, like, it seems like there's never enough time and um, days just, like, fly by. And then and then you finally get time to, like, chill out. Then we get bored because we're like, there's nothing happening. And sometimes we, like, plan extra events to, like, make time go faster but instead we can use that downtime to like Walsh is doing kind of like take time to figure out what get to know ourselves more and get to know the people around us more and um figure out what's important mm-hmm. yeah and then you know for it really it's different for each person right like because for some people, connection is more important. And for some people, it's like all these accomplishments. And then, of course, if you throw in just some more lemons into your life, and then now your life gets a little bit more complicated. So definitely the the concept of like the important things in your life really depends on each person. And, and I, but I think the point of the story here is that, you know, just take time and slow down if you can. And... Just really assess if this is worth it or this is um, important. Because after you die, is it really going to matter? Yeah. Yeah, I think when Wallace is reflecting on everything, he never even thinks about all the cases he won. Mm -hmm. He's actually thinking about how he wasn't the best husband to his ex-wife and... How he never had time to like drink tea and go to tea shops and things like that. So this is a little bit of a segue, but um, it's related to this. I promise. Uh, lately, I've been on Instagram Reels, and you know, there's this one song that people keep using by Avicii. Um, if you guys don't know who he is, check him out. I mean, he already passed away, which is really sad. But he was a really good musician, and one of his lines was. One day, you're going to leave this world behind, so live a life that you want to be remembered. Right. Yeah, so I I think that this plays a huge role in this book because, as you said, it's not like, uh, he was, Wallace wasn't even thinking about his accomplishment. He was just thinking about the person that he wasn't, that he wanted to be. So I, it, and when I was reading this book, like the whole time, that song kept popping up in my head. The author, T.D. Klune, actually did an interview, which I thought was really interesting, where he talked about 
what would the characters of this book write on their own gravestones? And I thought his answers were really interesting. So he said if Wallace were to write his own, it would say, Here lies a man who is more than he appeared, but only because he had people to help him become the best version of himself. Makes sense. And then for Hugo, uh, he said, Here lies a man who, without hesitation, gave all of himself in service of others. Yeah, Hugo, remember, was the, the ferryman who helps people in their journeys after they've died. And he's also the owner of the cafe. Mm-hmm. And his granddad keeps saying that he's the most empathetic person around, which is true. He sits with people through all of their like darkest times, and he's very um, he never like pretends to know the answers or anything. Yeah. Then for May, who's the the reaper who brings people to the the cafe after they've died, and she's the one who brings Wallace to the cafe. He says, hers would say, here lies a woman who find, found a home in an unlikely place and did everything she could to help others find the same. I feel like that's very true of May. May is super caring. She does have a hard edge, but she really cares about all these people. Mm. Yeah. I liked her story a lot, how she grew up in an uh, Asian American family and she didn't have a lot of... Um, she didn't have a lot of that like nurturing relationship and then being in the cafe was the first time that she like had hugs and she got to feel like what caring felt like right and then she was always a medium but you know nobody really understood her and and it's she just didn't really fit in anywhere for a while not only because of her race because of her uh, power her gift but but then she got recruited to be a reaper and she found a home yeah and then for nelson who's the grandfather um his gravestone would say here lies a man who leaves this world knowing he did everything to nurture and protect those he loved which is cute yeah Mm -hmm. definitely uh nelson is very protective and then he he really tries. I mean, he, you know, he is helping out Hugo because, I mean, um, Wallace always asked, well, not always, Wallace sometimes asks him, like, why are you still here? And then he would be like, like, it's none of your business. But then he will also follow up uh, by, follow that up by saying, um, it's because of Hugo. Like, I'm doing all this for Hugo. So that was really cute. And, you know, he really helps Wallace with trying to capture what you can do as a dead person. Yeah, he's he's trying to teach Wallace to use these new powers he has. Like, he can change his clothes, even though he's dead, and he can pick up chairs. Um, and he also, he tries to mess with people sometimes. He has this, like, really interesting sense of humor, so he tries to, like, play pranks on people and joke with them. Yeah, I would say Nelson' character is definitely the comedy relief of this whole plot. So, I mean, he fits that that profile. Yeah, and then of course there's Wallace who went through some sort of mouth wardrobe malfunctioning, like the first time he changed 
I t- attempted to change clothes. It was what one bikini mm-hmm. that barely covered anything. Just yeah, definitely yeah. a sight. He said it left nothing to the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess my question is, what would you want to write on your epitaph? I don't know. I think um, I would. I would definitely want it to say something about like like being there for people or or something and I would hope that like no matter what I'm doing would like no matter what I would be doing like career-wise or like family-wise it would all be like um like helping bring people together or something like that um and at least I would be the best version of me just like it says for Wallace yeah I can see that I have no idea what I would say for mine. Here lies a woman who attempt to have it all. <laughs> you know, I, I I really don't know. I haven't really thought about what it would be like if I die. It's weird. Yeah, yeah I don't... I think we... Most of us try to avoid thinking about it. Well, I mean, sometimes I think about it just because for me, it's really... Um, I have family obligations where if I die I need to prepare certain things for so um you know like if my parents pass away which is fine because they pass away due to old age but if I die before my brother and my brother has down syndrome so he can't be left alone I need to make plans Mm -hmm. so for me um death is not that taboo death is not that much of a sad thing it's just you know it's just part of life and i and i just i'm just gonna have to work around it and i just have to make sure that i have proper things in place just in case something happens then my brother can be taken care of but you know even after you die i mean obviously of course like we don't know what happens after you die do you go to heaven hell um depending on what religion you're from there's so many you know interpretation like i believe in buddhism and hinduism reincarnation is a big thing and um but like in christianity and in um islam i think also islam i'm not really sure um you know you pretty much go to um you pretty much go to heaven or hell but, or you could just be like this book where you figure out and you are sort of reborn again. And by reborn, I mean, then like, let's think about Wallace. So, you know, he was this type A, you know, person throughout his life, right? Like, I, I accomplished all this, I get it all done, and I'm intimidating, I am successful. So he's pretty much a type A person. But then he died, and then all that is stripped away from him. And slowly, he's learning how to be himself again, or who he is. He's rediscovered, he's reborn into, I guess, the best version that he can be. So, um, so who knows? Maybe life after death is rather that before you go to heaven or hell, or... Maybe heaven and hell do a says. You know what this reminds me of, actually? The good place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I don't know if you guys have seen that show. If you guys haven't, please, please, please go watch it. Um, but in a good place, these four people pass away, and they they put into this place is um, is they call it the good place, but it was really the bad place. And then and then you know throughout the season, they're trying to work out to be better versions of themselves so that they get to actually go to heaven, like into the best place. So it's that's kind of what this book reminds me of too. Yeah, the main character in that also, Eleanor, she she realizes she wasn't a good person. And when she gets to what she thinks is the good place, she has a second chance, just like Wallace does. Yeah. So what do you think about the whole concept of, of you know, when of reborn or like rediscovery? Well, I think since we've read this book, we kind of get our own opportunity to reevaluate our lives and we don't actually die and get a second chance like Wallace does, but we kind of have our own opportunity at rebirth just because like every day is a new chance to like practice what you want to be and you know it's like every day every week you can try something new like if you made not so good choices one day you can apologize like make better choices the next Mm -hmm. yeah and you know even in this book like we don't no, obviously we're um, seeing this from Wallace's and like the dead's perspective. I mean, from the regular human perspective, the one that cannot see dead, like as far as they know, Wallace is gone. So, I mean, we really don't know what is afterlife like. But as Sonali said, you know, every day we have a chance to rediscover ourselves, whatever it is. And... Even if you end up going through some sort of tragedy like Wallace did, maybe not at that level, but, you know, just something, I don't know, a little bit less um, important, I guess, like maybe you lost a job, like it's okay. I mean, it sucks and, you know, you're going to have to go through grief for a tiny bit, but it's also a time to rediscover your passions, your interests, and just your talent. Just like how Wallace is doing that with his personality and then his mindset. I think one of Wallace's first rediscovery was when he drank the tea. Like the very first drink that he had when he came to the tea shop. And it was peppermint tea. And and the reason why we're mentioning tea, it's not just because I love tea. I mean, by the way, I do love tea. <laughs> but it's the symbol of tea. Well, I think, first of all, it's something he never had time to enjoy when he was actually alive. And now he, he says he's never even been inside of a tea shop. He thinks tea shops are for hipsters. And now he has this opportunity to drink tea and he gets the tea that he needs like i think everyone gets the tea that they need in order to like help them process what's happening to them and the owner of the cafe hugo who um help 
he's the one who figures out what tea everyone needs. And his instincts are apparently always right. He, he just looks at this huge collection of tea and he thinks like, this person probably needs this one. So he gives Wallace a peppermint tea. And I think before he had the tea, he Wallace was more like aggressive and defensive and he was really resistant to even accepting that he was dead. And he keep, he kept trying to get everyone to take him back to life. And he was like, I have, I have clients, I have appointments, like, I have a life. And they were trying to explain to him that it's not that simple, like, it, you can't just go back to life, you're dead now, and you need to come to terms with that. So this tea kind of helped him come to terms with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just love how Hugo gets a tea, right? Like, he was able to look through the files and... And, you know, he's just like, okay, this person needs this. Um, there was another case, another dead being that he took care of, a um, little girl named Leah. Leah has a more tragic story, but Leah needed a ginger, ginger tea. Gingerbread, yeah. Gingerbread tea. And that was because uh, Leah's favorite memory was with her mom making gingerbread houses. So it reminded her of her mom. And that was really cute. So tea, I would say in this book, like tea is kind of representing, you know, the whole notion of like stop and smell the roses. Mm-hmm. But in this case, tea. Because with tea, you can't, I mean, I guess it could be coffee too, in a sense. But like coffee, you don't really, you only have coffee beans. You don't have like many flavor. With tea, you can have different flavors. So I think that's why he went with tea. Um, but pretty much, you know, you can't drink tea right away because it's super hot. So mm-hmm. you have to like take your time, sip through it. And as you sip through it, you just sit and kind of just ponder or think about whatever that comes to your head and depending on the flavor of tea that's how your mood is going to be at least that's how i kind of interpret that like the symbolism of tea in this book yeah and the rest of the cafe is open to live customers i mean like people who are not dead so like regular customers can come in and order tea but for the dead there's a very specific tea that hugo determines they need yeah and hugo is such a tea connoisseur like he makes his own tea plants and everything his whole backyard had just have a bunch of tea leaves it's pretty cool i mean i wish i kind of have that but but i don't one day yeah and i kind of want to go on to like a little bit of side character so the manager yeah he's a something (laughs) oh so um in case you guys don't know who the manager is um so the manager is pretty much hugo's and may's supervisors boss he's kind of everything and like not I, i wouldn't say he's god but you know he's definitely up there like yeah i think he's the closest thing to god that they probably have yeah but he when wallace asks him are you god he says no god is something humans have imagined up like there's no such thing as god but he does say that he's like 
he says, I am everything, which makes me think he's like basically what we think of as God. Yeah. And also, again, if you guys have seen The Good Place, think of, you know, Judge as like the manager. Like the, uh, yeah, like her, the Judge character in The Good Place is very close to the manager in mm-hmm. this book. And um, so he's very eccentric. And he's very cocky. To be honest, when I was reading his characters, I was like, this is pretty much Wallace when he was alive. Like, they're both cocky. They kind of fooled themselves. The only difference is that Wallace was very condescending. Like, he was very, very condescending. He was cool. He just didn't care about human connections he only cared about his uh you know success versus for the manager he's actually very uh empathetic he's understanding he's not as cruel but he does come across as cocky as well because i guess he's everything so i guess that comes with the nature so in a lot of ways i would say the manager and the uh, and wallace are pretty similar but the most interesting thing is like when I heard all these stories about the manager, like, like when you heard about the manager, who were you envisioning? What do you mean? Like, who, what kind of person did you have in your mind? I guess just, like, something, someone scary, because that's how they were kind of portraying. Like, they're like, you don't want to deal with him. Like, mm-hmm. hopefully you don't get to deal with the, uh, with the manager. So, like, definitely someone scary, um someone not understanding at all but then they have definitely put in some glimpse of the manager in there that mm-hmm. kind of made me change my mind but in the very beginning yeah in the very beginning i was like okay this is a very scary person or being and i do not want to mess with this person but i think when it comes to when we started reading about Lear's leah 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 Leah? I think probably Leah. Leah. Okay, when we started reading about Leah's case, they put in a little bit glimpse of the manager's um, personality or mindset. And that's when I'm like, okay, he doesn't seem as cruel as the kind of pointing out, the kind of painting him to be. Yeah, he definitely seems like someone, like he, everything was very elusive. So we really had no idea what to expect but it seemed like someone who was in control as much as he could be and who knew how to like steer things in the right direction as much as possible like there were mistakes that happened but it sounded like he was in control but we finally like get our first glimpse of him in chapter 17 and here's what it says so he first he appears as a stag and then and then the stag disappears, and here's what it says. In its place stood a child, a boy. He was young, perhaps nine or ten, with golden brown skin, his eyes a strange shade of violet. And he has a t-shirt that says, just a kid from Topeka. <laughs> so um, this is like very different from what I was thinking, and I think what very different from what Wallace was imagining and all of us. And yeah. I was listening to the audiobook version too. So um, the the manager's voice was also like a kid's voice. And it was just like really funny to hear him say all these things 
in a kid's voice. Yeah, that was, yeah, I remember that part. I was like, huh, did not see that coming. But as far as his personality goes, like, I, yeah, I didn't think that he was as cruel from, like, the beginning. Because we get to see a little glimpse of him since the beginning. But, like, that was more the scary part. But I think um, his his nurturing nature kind of came about um, maybe, like, chapter 8 or 9 or 10. Like, around there. Like, mm-hmm. still early on in the book. Yeah. And then, of course, um, there's another side character that I definitely want to mention. Apollo. He's a cute dog. He's a ghost dog. He's a good doggo. Every doggo is a good doggo. <laughs> and he is definitely one. If I'm if I'm in that house, I don't think I will ever stop playing with Apollo. He's just so cute. Yeah, and he's very loyal. And he's... Um, um, and then, you know, he's very excited, just like any other dog. And and it's it's just overall a heartwarming character to me. Yeah. yeah, I wish we got to see a little bit more of him. Like, you know, have him do more tricks and stuff. Yeah, definitely. And, but overall, you know, he just stays around. And it's not like Hugo didn't take him to the door. Um, take him to, you know, cross over. Um, but Polo, even though he has a choice, I think he still chose to stay, probably to stay with Nelson. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really nice. And then, you know, T.J. Clune's book, similar to the Cerulean Sea. Oh, which, by the way, by the way, Sonali had pointed out that that uh, T.J. Clooney used the word Cerulean quite a few times in the book. Um, the first time I saw it, I was like, ooh, um, that's a reference to Cerulean Sea. And I think it was, I don't know, maybe chapter three or two, pretty much when um, Wallace entered the house and there were pictures in um, all over the house and then one of them was the island in the Cerulean Sea. So, you know, definitely... Uh, a reference to the book that he had, uh, he wrote uh, just last year. And, um, but yeah, he mentioned that word quite a few times. And if you guys look at the cover too, it has this like a sort of a green, blue, you know, Silurian shade. So, which is kind of neat in my opinion. I don't think the two books are connected at all. And he also said that it's not a sequel, but at the same time, the fact that he mentioned that word a few times, or rather several times, is rather a little bigger than a coincidence. So I realized I misspoke earlier. I said that Apollo the dog was Nelson's dog. And I forgot that actually we heard the story about um, who Apollo was, and he was actually Hugo's service dog earlier before he died um, because Hugo had some mental health issues, and Apollo would help him through some of those. Yeah, so 
both Nelson and Apollo are staying for Hugo. So Hugo has all the love he needs, mm-hmm. which is really nice. Yeah, I feel like doing Hugo's job would be like so much harder if he, he was all by himself. Definitely, yeah. Because we, we see times when Hugo, we we get the feeling that Hugo is, like, super strong and, like, super empathetic and he's able to be there for people, like, no matter what they're going through. But there are times when, like, even all of that gets to him, too. So he, like, Wallace at one point makes this comment and he's like, you're human. And as if he was expecting that Hugo was, like, some hu- superhuman person, but... Like, we see that Hugo's just, like, a regular person just like all of us. And, like, sometimes his job gets to be a lot for him. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's life. Like, even the strongest-minded people are vulnerable. And everybody has the right to be vulnerable. And then um, it just makes sense that once in a while you're going to need to reset. And, and that's just how it is in life. Like, even in Hugo's life. Like, he just sometimes needs a day or two for himself and just focus on on just his mindset and then his feelings and get back on it. Yeah. So, going back to the cellular again, do you think that it's a coincidence that he mentioned that word so many times? I don't know. At first, I was like, um, remember we were we were thinking that maybe he was trying to like make a like secret inside reference to his other book, The House in the Surveillance Sea. And it was supposed to be like maybe like an inside not like an inside joke, but like a reference that only readers of that other book would understand. But I don't know. I feel like he used it so many times. And it's not a common word. Like, it's not a common color descriptor. So maybe Cerulean is just T.J. Kuhn's favorite color. And he just uses it. Like, whenever... And, like, when other people say blue, maybe he just says Cerulean. Because it's his favorite blue or something. Yeah, maybe. I would never know. I definitely did not know that that word existed until I read that book. I was like, what does cerulean mean? So I actually had to look it up. Yeah. So um, it's a, it's a definitely a question that we're going to have to do more research on and see if it's just a, his favorite color or if he really means something more. Maybe there's a hidden meaning. Who knows? Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, and then of course, you know, it's similar to the cerulean C. This book also follows a queer uh, love story. And then, of course, if you haven't guessed, it's between Hugo and Wallace. And um, just like the other book, you know, the, the queer aspect of the book is not really a big deal. It was mentioned. I mean, we've found out that Wallace was bisexual early on in the book. And it was like one line. And that was it. And it was just not a big deal. And and I like that in a lot of his books, he he has queer representation. And it's just as if it's any other couples. I mean, we're not making a big deal for a straight couple. Why should we make a big deal for like a queer couple, I guess? Yeah. But uh, I just thought that that was a nice touch. 
Mm-hmm. And it was only one form of diversity. I think a lot of the characters were diverse, which is like less common than you would expect. But I think it was it was refreshing to see so many like different types of people. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, even May is Asian in heritage, mm-hmm. and um, I believe Hugo is a black man, and Wallace is a white man. When I don't know about Nelson, um, maybe he's black as well since is he's Hugo's grandfather, or maybe he's other race. Like somehow Hugo's mix. Um, but yeah, we got to see quite a bit in in this book as well. So, and, you know, none of that were a big deal. Just I think uh, there was one time when Wallace, um, they're all getting ready for a, a health inspection of the ca- cafe, and they're explaining to Wallace how the inspector always seems to have it out for Hugo, and Wallace thinks this is really unfair. He's like, why would he have it out for you? Is it because you're black? And... <laughs> Um, and it just shows that, like, okay, so it sounds like the sexual orientation isn't a big deal. Like, he's assuming that the race is, like, what makes yeah the inspector discriminate. Yeah. I don't think we got an answer for that ever, right? It was just, like, speculation. Oh, uh, Nelson actually gives a guess. He's, like, he, he tells... Wallace that one time the inspector had tried to ask Hugo out and Hugo declined so maybe that was why and that makes of course that makes Wallace like even more like irritated because like so when the inspector comes to do the inspection he keeps making all these like kind of gross like remarks and stuff and you can just see like Wallace getting more and more annoyed and he's like at one point he's like does this stuff actually work on anyone because like all of the inspector's lines are just like so you know like cheesy lines but they're like they're like beyond you know like cute cheesy they're like gross cheesy yeah they weren't good lines so don't repeat those lines guys yeah and, you know, we gotta talk about the ending. Um, if you guys are reading the book, you know, there's only really two ways that this um, this book is gonna end with. Either Hugo, sorry, not Hugo, either Wallace stays or Wallace goes. So, what do you think about the ending? I really liked how it ended it was actually the opposite of what i was expecting i was expecting wallace to leave i i thought the cafe would be like a stepping stone where he got to build relationships for the first time in his life because he'd never like really connected to people before and this would be like the first time that he learns how to like be friends with people and he even has like this romantic relationship starting to happen but um but he couldn't even like touch Hugo so I felt like there was like an ending that had to happen to that I thought like the the cafe was going to be a temporary thing because even though they were they had this like real connection like nothing could really happen so I thought there would be a time when Wallace had to leave and he would just accept that and whatever happened next would be like even better I can see that but 
honestly, for me, yeah, I was opposite of you. And I guess when I was reading the synopsis, you know, I see that it's a love story. And I mean, I didn't think TJ Klune to be more of a, to be a, um, a bittersweet ending person. So I was like, it's going to have some sort of happy ending. So I, um, yeah, so I thought opposite from Sonali and I was right. Yeah. But. Yeah, because under the, or sorry, in the the house in the Cerulean Sea was like a cozy, um, people described it as a, like you're snuggling under the blankets kind of read where like you just get these like fuzzy warm feelings and you feel like you're just like snuggling with your hot cocoa and reading under, in the, the house in the Cerulean Sea. I keep getting the titles mixed up. Yeah, they they are they're pretty wordy, I would say. But yeah, but this one deals a little bit more on the sad tone. You know, we're dealing with death. We're dealing with other unfortunate events, and um, it just takes on a little bit more toll on your mindset. But. Which is why I I don't know why, but like I just never think that it was gonna have like a a, a sad ending. Um, was gonna, I mean, it's still a bittersweet ending in a sense, depending on how you look at it, right? Because like, um, if you look at uh how he, Wally's could have gone on and and figure out his next adventure, he decided to stay. So in that sense, it's a little bittersweet because he's given that up, but. But I don't know if you remember, um, you know, he asked Hugo a few times, like, why do you do this? Why do you allow yourself to be trapped? Or why are you being a prisoner? And then Hugo was like, I'm not being a prisoner. I choose to be here. And I think that's pretty much what Wallace decided. Like, he decides choose to be here. He mm-hmm. decides to be uh, with Hugo, with the rest of people. Um, he made his choice. Yeah, I think it took him weeks to, like, come to terms with being okay with that choice. I think he felt, like, I don't know, maybe, like, guilty or something about wanting to stay. Also because, like, nobody in history has ever been allowed to stay except for, like, one random guy in, like, I don't know, the 1600s or something. Yeah. And so, like, everyone kept telling him that, you know, you can take as much time as you need but eventually you need to walk through that door. And um, and May told him once that the person who had stayed the longest at the cafe had stayed like two weeks. But yeah. for but Wallace... Then, but then we have Nelson. Yeah. You know? So For Wallace, it had been three weeks. And, um, and we kind of get this sense that like he might they might start, like, rushing him, especially when the manager comes, like, he might start rushing Wallace and being like, okay, like, enough is enough, like, time to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Overall, I would say this book has a slower pace. Um, it's, it's still a really good book, but it's definitely a slower pace book, which kind of matches the, the theme of the book, too, if you think about it, because, you know, just take some time to drink the tea, to mm-hmm. really reflect, uh, to see what's important in life, and that's kind of how the book, uh, book's pace took too. Um, 
like you just take your time really exploring these characters uh i would say it's a little i i would love to see more depth um but i also get it that that um it you know the depth is as deep as it will go so yeah but i think i would love to see a little bit more depth in general like in what aspects like character growth yeah, it was actually surprising to me that Wallace, like, had a change of heart as quickly as he did. Because mm-hmm. he went from being, like, I don't know, like, very, very serious to being, like, so open. And I was like, is that... I would have never thought that could happen, but I don't know. Maybe when you're dead, like, new things are possible. I guess, I mean, you don't have any other distractions, right? So I guess all you have to do yeah. is focus on yourself. Um, so maybe, but who knows? I mean, it's kind of like, you know how like in reality shows, like especially The Bachelor and Bachelorette, like they're in isolated islands, like they develop feelings for each other because like all they have to do is just focus on themselves in that, like in isolated place. It's kind of similar to that. Like, I guess Mm -hmm. that's why he was able to change his mind. But you're right about how fast it was, which is why I'm like, is that possible? I felt like that the rush or the pace of his changing mindset was a little too fast for me to, I mean, yeah, for me, it was just a little bit too fast. But it does show that, like, every, like, Basically, even if you think you know someone and you think you've judged them to be, like, whatever kind of person they are, like, a lot of people are capable of changing. And, like, a lot of people who knew Wallace were like, he's not a good person, he's really selfish and cruel, and he started to transform. And it took, it didn't take that much time, and, you know, like, who knows, maybe, maybe a lot of us can be changed like you know like some of our like political leaders i hear a lot of people saying like they're just like horrible people but like you know what if they had an experience like wallace and like they became good people somehow yeah yeah definitely a lot to consider well that's the end of our podcast thank you so much for listening to us and check us out on our instagram and our youtube and you know give us a like give us a comment let us know what you think let us know what you think about this book in general and how um you think compared to the Cerulean sea uh if you have read that one if you haven't definitely definitely recommend it and i know i have also recommend the good place uh tv show so go ahead and check it out you will see a lot of similarities between this book and that tv show as well so anyway have a good rest of your day and um just be safe and i hope you enjoyed this episode